Ashley Brock reading Nora Roberts' book, Inner Harbor, Chapter 4. Wouldn't do to appear too anxious to build a mind on yourself or to get there too early. It had to be casual. It had to be relaxed. She decided not to take her car. It would look more like a careless visit if she walked down from the waterfront. If she included the visit to the boatyard in an afternoon of shopping and wandering, it would appear more impulsive than calculated. To calm herself, she roamed the waterfront a pretty Indian summer Saturday morning through tourists. They poked and strolled along as she did, dropping into the little shops, paused to watch boats sail or motor on the bay. No one seemed to be in a particular hurry or have a specific destination. That it in itself, she mused, made an interesting contrast to the usual urban Saturday when even the tourists seemed to be in a rush to get from one place to the next. It would be something to consider and analyze, and perhaps theorize over in her book and because she did find it interesting she slipped her mini recorder out of her bag and muttered a few verbal notes and observations families appear to be relaxed rather than hurry or desperately seeking the entertainment they travel to find the natives seem to be friendly and patient life is slow to reflect the pace set by the people who make their living here the little shops were doing what she termed a bustling business if the merchandise Merchants didn't have the, that anxious and sly-eyed look prevalent among the vendors, where the crowds were thick and the wallets tightly guarded. <laughs> she bought a few postcards for friends and associates in New York, and more out of habit than need, selected a book on the history of the area. It would help her in her research, she imagined. She lingered over a pewter fairy with a teardrop crystal hanging from her elegant fingers, but she resisted it firmly reminding herself that she could purchase any sort of foolishness she wanted in New York. Crawford's appeared to be a popular spot, so she strolled in and treated herself to an ice cream cone and gave her something to do with her hands as she walked a few blocks to boats by Quinn. She appreciated the value of props. Everyone used them in the continuing play of living, she thought. A glass at a cocktail party, a paperback book on the subway. Jewelry, she realized when she caught herself twisting her necklace around her nervous fingers. She dropped the train and concentrated on enjoying her scoop of raspberry sherbet. didn't take long to walk to the outskirts of town. She calculated that the water air, waterfront area ran for barely a mile from end to end. The neighborhoods ran west from the water. Narrow streets with tidy houses and tiny lawns. Low fences designed as much for backyard gossiping, she mused, as for the boundary lines. Trees were large and leafy, still holding the deep dark green of summer. It would be, she thought, an attractive sight when they turned with autumn. Kids played in yards or rode bikes along the sloping sidewalks. She saw a teenage boy, lovely, waxing an old Chevy Compact. Singing in a loud, just out of tune voice, whatever played through his headphones. A long-legged mutt with floppy ears rushed to a rushed the fence as she passed, barking in deep, rusty clips. Her heart did a quick dance when he planted his huge ball on the top of the fence, and she kept walking. She didn't know much about dogs. She spotted Phillips deep in the pothole-filled parking lot beside the boatyard. An aging pickup truck kept in company. The doors and several of the windows of the building were wide open. Through them came the buzz of saws and the southern rock beat of John Fogarty.
Okay, Sybil. She thought and took a deep breath as she carefully swallowed the last of her cone. Now or never. She stepped inside and found herself momentarily distracted by the look of the place. It was huge and dusty and bright as a spotlight stage. The twins were hard at work with ease and cam fitting a long vent plank into place on what she assumed was a hole in process in progress. Philip stood at a big, dangerous-looking power saw running lumber through it, so she didn't see Seth. For a moment, she simply watched and wondered if she should slip back out again. Her nephew wasn't there and would be more sensible to postpone a visit, and so she was sure he was. He might be away for the day with friends. Did he have any friends, or could he be home? Did he consider it his home? Before she could decide, the saw switched off, leaving only John Fogarty croning about a brown-eyed, handsome man. Philip stepped back, pushed up his safety goggles, turned, and saw her. A smile of welcome came so quickly, so sincerely, that she had to clap down on a hard tug of guilt. I'm interrupting, she raised her voice to complete, compete with the music. Thank God. Dusting his hands on his jeans, Philip started toward her. I've been stuck with looking at these guys all day. You're a big improvement. I decided to play tour. She jingled her shopping bag she carried, and I thought I'd take you up on the offer of a tour. I was hoping you would. So, deliberately, she shifted her gaze to the hall. It was safer, she decided, than looking into those tiny eyes for any length of time. That's a boat? It's a hall, or will be. He took her hand and drew her for it. It's going to be a sports fisher. Which is one of those fancy boats men like to go out on and act manly, fish for marlin, and drink beer. Ah, it's a boat. Cab charger. Want a job? She looked at the tools, the sharp edges. I mean, I don't think so. It wasn't easy to smile back to look over at Ethan. Looks like the three of you know what you're doing. <sighs> we know what we're doing. Cam wiggled some between himself and Ethan. We gave Philip around for entertainment. I'm not appreciated around here. She laughed and began to circle the hole. She could understand the basic shape, but not the process. I assume this is upside down? <laughs> Good eye. Philip only grinned when she cocked an eyebrow. After she's playing, we'll turn her over and start on the decking. Are your parents boat builders? No, my mother was a doctor and my father called her professor, but we grew up around boats. She heard it in his voice, the affection, the not quite settled grief, and hated herself. She intended to ask him more about his parents in some detail, but couldn't. I've never been on a boat, ever. <laughs> I imagine there are several million people in the world who haven't. Want to? Maybe. I've enjoyed watching the boats from my hotel window. As she studied it, the hole became a puzzle she needed to solve. How do you know where to begin to build this? I assume you work from a design, blueprints, or schematics, or whatever you call it. Eden's been... Eden's been doing the bulk of the design where camel can fiddles with it. Seth draws it up. Seth! Her fingers tightened on the strap of her purse. Props, she thought again. Didn't you say he was in middle school? That's right. The kid's got a real talent for talent. Check this out. Now she heard pride, and it flustered her. Struggling for composure, she followed him to a far wall where drawings and boats were roughly framed in raw wood. There were good, very, very good, clever sketches done with pencil and care and talent. Oh, no. He, a young boy drew these? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty great, huh? This is the one we just finished. He tapped a hand on the left, and this is one, and this one's what we're working on now. He's very talented, she murmured along the left and he has excellent perspective. Perspective. Do you draw? A little now and then. Just a hobby. She had to turn away to shelter 
settle herself. It relaxes me and it helps me in my work. Chairman smiled again. She tossed her hair over her shoulder and then right easy one of them. So, where's the artist today? Oh, he's... He broke off as two dogs raced into the building. So, till, so Bill took an instinctive step back as the smaller of the two made a beeline in her direction. She made some strangling sound of distress just as Philip jabbed out a finger and issued a sharp command. Now hold it, you idiot. No jumping. No jumping. He repeated with a foolish forward. But foolish forward motion proved too much for all of them. He was already up. Already had his paws planted under Seville's breast. She staggered a bit, seeing only big sharp teeth bearing in what she thought took ferocious rather than a sloppy doggy grin. Nice dog, she bitted in another good dog, stupid dog. Philip corrected all foolish now by the time. No manners. Sit. Sit. Sorry, he said to Seville when the dog obligingly plopped down and offered his paw. He's foolish. Well, he's enthusiastic. No, foolish is his name. And his personality. He'll stay like that until you shake his paw. Oh, gingerly she took the paw with two fingers. He won't bite. Phil Pringle said that there was a good deal more distress than irritation in her eyes. Sorry, are you for his dog? I may be a, a little large, strange dogs. <laughs> he's strange, alright. The other one's Simon, and he's considered considerably more polite. Phil scratched Simon's ears as the dog sat calmly, studying him so Bill. He's Ethan's. The idiot belongs to Seth. I see. I see. Seth had a dog. Was all she could think of as foolish offered his paw yet again. Ironer was what appeared abject adoration. I don't know where. I don't know very much about dogs, I'm afraid. <laughs> These are Chesapeake Bay Retrievers. Or foolish mostly is. We're not sure what else he is. Seth, call your dog before he slobbers all over the lady's shoes. Sibylle lifted her head quickly and saw the boy just inside the doorway. The sun was streaming at his back, and it cast his face into shadows. She saw only a tall, slightly built boy carrying a large brown bag and wearing a black and orange ball cap. He doesn't slobber much. Hey, foolish! Instantly, both dogs scrambled to their feet and raced across the room. Seth waded through them, carrying the bag to a makeshift table fashioned from a sheet of plywood laid over two sawhorses. I don't know why I have to always go for lunch and stuff. He complained. Because we're bigger than you. Cam told him to dive into the bank. Get me the cold cut subloaded. Yeah, yeah. Where's my chain? Seth pulled out a liter, liter of Pepsi out of the bag, cracked the top, and got some stick from the bottle. What change? Look, you little thief. I've got at least two bucks coming back. Don't know what you're talking about. You must have forgotten to add on the carrying charges again. Kim married a grapple and said dance absolutely way. Hooting with laughter. Brotherly love. Philip said easily. That's why I make sure I only give the kid the right change. You never see a nickel back otherwise. Want some lunch? No, I she couldn't take her eyes off that knew she had to. He was talking with Ethan now, making wide exaggerating dressings with his free hand while his dog took quite playful leaps at his fingers. I had something already, but you go ahead. A drink then? Did you get my water, kid? Yeah, fancy water. Waste of money. Man, Crawford's was packed. Crawford's was a sensation she couldn't quite define. Seville realized they might have been in the store at the same time. Might have walked right by each other. She would have passed them on the street without a clue. Seth glanced from Philip to Seville, studying her mild, mild injury. You buying a boat? No, 
He didn't recognize her. She thought, of course he wouldn't. He'd been hardly more than a baby the only time they'd seen each other. There was no stunned familiar awareness in his eyes any more than there would have been in hers. But she knew. I'm just looking. That's cool. He went back to the bag and pulled out his own suit. Uh, talk to him. <laughs> talk to him if you were herself. Say something. Anything. Philip was just showing me your drawings. They're wonderful. They're okay. He jerked his shoulder, but she thought she saw a faint flush of pleasure on his cheeks. I could do better, but they're always rushing me. Casually, she hoped it was casually. She crossed to him. She'd see him clearly now. His eyes were blue, but a deeper, darker blue than hers or her sister's. His hair was a darker blonde than the little boys in the picture she carried. She'd been nearly a towel tow head at four, and now his hair was a richer blonde and very straight. The mouth, she thought. Wasn't there some resemblance around the mouth with him? Is that what you want to be? She needed to keep him talking. An artist? Maybe, but that's mostly for kicks. He took a huge bite of a sandwich and talked through it. We're boat builders. His hands were far from clean, she noted, and his face was so much better. She imagined such niceties as washing up before meals went by the wayside of a house full of meals. Maybe you'll go into design work. Seth, this is Dr. Seville Griffin. Phil offers Seville a plastic cup of bow and water over rice. She writes books. Like stories? Not exactly. She's doing like observations. Right now I'm spending some time in the area observing. He wiped his mouth with his wipe from the back of his hand. The hand fillers had enthusiastically licked before and after. Seville noted with an inward wince. You gonna do a book about boats? He asked her. No, about people. People who live in small towns right now. People who live in small towns by the water. How do you like it? Living here, I mean. I like it okay. Living in the city sucks. He picked up the soft drink bottle. Again. People who live here are nuts. He ran black Phil. You're a peasant, Seth. I worry about you. Well, the snort Seth bit into the sandwich again. I'm going on the dock. We got some ducks hanging out. <laughs> he bounced out. Dogs trailing behind. Says Scott. Very definite opinions. Phillips <laughs> draw. I guess the world's pretty black and white when you're ten. Doesn't care for the urban experience. Nerves, she noted, had been drowned out by sheer curiosity. Has he spent time with you in Baltimore? No, he lived there for a while with his mother. His tone had darkened, making some bill raise an Part of that long story I mentioned. I believe I mentioned I enjoyed hearing it. Then have dinner with me tonight, and we'll exchange those last stories. She looked toward the cargo doors. Seth had gone out through them very much at home. She needed to spend more time with him, observing, and she decided she needed to hear what the Quins had to say about the situation. Why not start with Philip? All right, I like that. I'll pick you up at seven. She shook her head. Seemed perfectly safe, perfectly fine, but she knew better than to take chances. No, I'll meet you there. Where's the restaurant? I'll write it down for you. We can start the tour in my office. It was easy enough, and she had some it. It was interesting. The tour itself didn't take long, other than the huge work area. There was little to the boatyard. Just Phillips' closet-sized office, a small bathroom, and a dark, dingy storeroom. It was obvious. It was obvious even to the untrained eye that the work center of the operation was its heart and soul. It was Ethan who patiently instructed her on a smooth lap planking about water lines and bow, bow shapes. She thought he would have made an excellent teacher with his clear, simple phasing. 
phrasing and willingness to answer what most have been very basic questions. She watched, generally fascinated, as the men held timber in a box and pumped out steam until the plank bowed into the shape they designed. Cam demonstrated how the ends were ramped together to form the smooth joints. Watching Cam with Seth, she was forced to admit there was a definite bond between them. If she had come across them knowing nothing, she would have assumed they were brothers, or perhaps father and son. It was all in the attitude, she decided, and again, they had an audience removed and were likely on their best behavior. She would see how they acted once they became used to her. Campbell let out a long, low whistle when Sibyl left the building. He wiggled his eyebrows, meaning, very nice, bro, very nice indeed. Phillips lashed a grin and looked at his bottle of water to look, can't complain. She's gonna be around long to, uh, if there's a god. Seth laid a plank down by the saw. Let her have shit. You mean you're gonna start poking at her? Is that all you guys think about? Other than pounding on you? Philip whipped off Seth's hat and popped the boy over the head with, sure, what else? You guys are always getting married. Seth said in disgust and tried to grab Seth. I don't want to marry her. I just want to have a nice, civilized dinner with her. Then bounce on her. Seth says, Christ, he gets that from you. Phil accused Cam. He came that way. Cam wrapped an arm around Seth. Then you brought. The panic didn't come now, as it used to whenever Seth was touched or held. Said he wriggled. And at least I think of something besides girls all the time. You guys are really lame. Lame. Philip put Philip put Seth's hat on his own head to free his hands and rub them together. Let's toss this little fish off the dock. Can you do that later? Ethan asked when Seth shouted in wild and wide objection. Do I have to build this damn boat by myself? Later then, Philip leaned down until he and Seth were nose to nose. And you won't know when, you won't know where, you won't know why. Man, I'm shaking now. I saw Seth today, and her laptop snailed on her bottom lip, then deleted the first sentence attack. Yeah. I made contact with the subject this afternoon. Better, she decided more objective. To approach this situation properly, it would be best if she thought of Seth as a subject. There's no recognition on either side. This, of course, as expected. He appears to be healthy. He's attractive, slimming, but built yet sturdy. Gloria was always thin, so I suspect he's he's inherited her basic body type. He's blonde. He's blonde as she is or was when I last saw her. He seemed to be comfortable with me. I'm aware that some children are shy around strangers. That doesn't seem to appear the case here. Though he was not at the boatyard when I arrived, he came in shortly after and been sent to the store for lunch. From the ensuing compliments and complaint in conversation, I can assume he is often expected to run errands. This could be construed two ways. One, that the twins take advantage of having a young boy available and use him accordingly. Or two, they were instilling a sense of responsibility. The truth likely resides in the middle. He is a dog. I believe this is to be unusual. Unusual, even traditionally occurrences for a child living in a suburban or rural area. He also has a talent for drawing. I was somewhat taken back by, by surprise by this. I have some talent for myself, as do my mother. Gloria, however, never showed any skill or interest in art. This shared interest may be a way to develop a rapport with the boy. It will be necessary to have some type, 
some time alone with him and assist me in choosing the correct course to take. The subject is, in my opinion, comfortable with the Quins. He seems to be content and secure. There is, however, a certain roughness, mild crudeness in him. Several times during the hour or so I spent with him, I heard him swear. Or once or twice, he was rather absently corrected. Otherwise, his language was ignored. He was not required to wash his hands before eating or any other cleanse corrects him for speaking with his mouth or feeding the dogs bites of his lunch. His manners are by no means appalling, but they are far from strictly polite. He mentioned preferring living here to the city. In fact, he was most disdain of urban life. I have agreed to have dinner with Bill Quince tonight and will urge him to tell me the facts of how Seth came to be with the Quince. How those facts agree with and differ from the facts of received from Gloria will help me assimilate the situation. The next step will be to obtain an invitation to the Quinn house. I'm very interested to see where the boy is living, to see him and the Quinns on this stage, and to meet the women who are now a part of his foster family. I hesitate to con contact social services and identify myself until I have completed this personal study. Sibyl sat back, tapping her fingers on the desk as she skimmed over her notes. It was so little, really, she thought, in her own fault. She thought she was prepared for the first meeting, but she wasn't. Seedham had left her dry mouth and sad. The boy was her nephew and her family, yet they were strangers. And wasn't there nearly as much her fault as it was Gloria's? Had she ever really tried to make a connection to bring him into her life? True. She had barely known where he was, but had she ever gone out of the way to find him or her sister? The few times Gloria had con contacted her over the years for money, always for money, she had asked about Seth, but hadn't she simply taken Gloria's word that the child was fine? Had she ever made it to speak with him, to see him? Hadn't it simply been easier for her to send money over the wire and forget about them again? Easier, she admitted, because the one time she had let him in, the one time she had let herself open her home and her heart, he'd been taken away and she had suffered. This time she would do something. She would do whatever was right, whatever was best. She wouldn't allow herself to become too emotionally involved. However, after all, he wasn't her child. If Gloria retained custody, he would still move out of her life again. But she would make the effort, take the time, see that... he was situated well. Then she would get on with her life and her work. Satisfied, she saved the document and shifted to another continue, another to continue her notes for her book. Before she could begin, the phone on her desk rang. Yes, Dr. Griffin. Sabelle, it took me a great deal of time and trouble to track you down. Mother, on her long side, Sabelle calls her. Hello, would you mind telling me what you're doing? Not at all. I'm researching a new book. How are you? House father, please don't insult my intelligence. I thought we'd agreed you would stay out of this sordid little affair. No, as it always did when faced with family confrontation, says Bill's stomach pain. We agreed that you would prefer I stay out of it. I said that I preferred not to. I've seen set. It's well, I'm not interested in Gloria or her son. I am. I'm sorry that upset you. Can you expect it to do otherwise? Your sister has chosen her own life, and it's no longer a part of mine. I will not be dragged into this. I have no intention of dragging you into this, resigned Sybil, reached into her purse, found the small closet box she used to store aspirin. 
No one knows who I am, and even if I'm connected to Dr. and Mrs. Walter Griffin that Harley follows to Gloria and Seth the Lawton, I can't be followed. If anyone becomes interested enough to pursue it, you can't accomplish anything by staying there and interfering in this situation, Seville. I want you to leave. Go back to New York and come here to Paris. Perhaps you'll listen to your father, if not to me. Seville washed down the aspirin with water and dug out an annex. I'm going to see this through. I'm sorry. There was a long silence, ripe with temper and frustration. Seville closed her eyes, left them closed and waited. You were always a joy to me. I never expected this kind of betrayal. I very much regret that I spoke with you about this matter. I wouldn't have if I'd known you would react so outrageously. He's a ten-year-old boy, mother. He's your grandson. He has nothing to me or to you. If you continue this, Gloria will make you pay for what you see as kindness. I can handle Gloria. There's a laugh now, short and brittle as that. So you always believed and you were always wrong. Please don't contact me or your father about any of this. I'll expect to hear from you when you've come to your senses. Mother, the dial tone made Seville wince. Barbara Griffin was a master of having the last word. Very carefully, Seville set the receiver on the hook. Very deliberately, she swallowed the anti-acid. And very de defiantly, she turned back to her screen and buried herself in her work. End of chapter 4.